Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Today, 2.32 of Through the Bible in One Year. So what you should have read to to have been prepared for today is you should have read Esther Esther chapters 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27 through 13, verse 13, Psalm 37 <coughs> through 11, and Proverbs 21, 23 through 24. So we're still in the book of Acts for a little while. <coughs> Today we're going to be in Acts 21, verse 37 through 22, verse 21. So what we saw yesterday is we saw Paul arrive in Jerusalem, (coughs) and because of the advice of James, he takes a group of four men to the temple so that he could assist them in completing a Nazarite vow. So we also saw <coughs> that about a week later, right, that Paul enters the temple <coughs> with another group of men and some Jews from the province of Asia see him entering <coughs> the temple and they thought they saw him bringing a Gentile into the temple, which of course we know that Paul was not doing. Paul was not bringing a Gentile into the temple because that would have defiled <coughs> the temple and had made the temple unusable. Right? So this was essentially a case of mistaken identity that was either willfully or accidentally done <coughs> and it led this group of Jews from the province of Asia to start a riot. So what this in turn caused was it caused the Roman soldiers stationed in Jerusalem that were stationed in Jerusalem to prevent such things from happening as the Roman <coughs> as the soldiers of the Roman legions were stationed throughout the empire to do, right? They were put there to prevent these sorts of riots <coughs> and public uprisings from happening, right? So this forced them to act by take to excuse me to take action by taking Paul into custody and then attempting to remove him from this <coughs> riotous scene in an attempt <coughs> to at the very least find out what the cause of this riot was or even better, which was what I'm gonna say here is what I'm gonna say. So that first one was they were trying to investigate, they couldn't investigate, right? So they took him out of the scene. So the second reason they would have taken him out of the scene <coughs> excuse me, right, was to have been well, it would have been to put an end to this right. And so what we're gonna see today Day is we're going to see Paul address this riotous mob of Jewish people who are angry and upset. 
because they thought Paul had attempted to defile the temple. So now we're going to see Paul attempt to speak with them in order to attempt to quell their anger. <coughs> so now we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 21, verse 37, which says this, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, yes, the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. So after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. <clears throat> when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, so we're going to stop right there for just a minute, right? So what do we see going on here? Right? So the Roman commander is surprised that Paul spoke Greek. Why was he surprised? Well, let's understand about what the Jews in Israel would have spoken at this point in time, right? So we know that most Jews in Israel, especially the educated ones, would have known Greek, right? So Paul's skill in this language, right, led to the conclusion that he was not a well-known insurrectionist. So that's where we see, right, where the Roman, um, where the commander of the Roman troops in Jerusalem was surprised that Paul spoke Greek, and he says, do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time uh, go. Right, so this Egyptian we see mentioned here in verse 38 was also mentioned by the historian Josephus was a false prophet who mounted a rebellion that was put down by the Roman governor Felix. Right. So what we see here is that Paul is obviously not the criminal in question, right? <coughs> That's where we see Paul's answer in verse 39. Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus, Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. So we see that Paul makes a request. He makes a request to speak to the people, right? So then we see in verse 40, right, it says, after receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. So Paul requested permission to speak, and he was granted to permission to speak. <coughs> and so then it says at the very end of verse 40, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic. And so when Paul spoke to the Jewish people, he spoke to them in Aramaic, right? which was the language of the common person in Judea. And so, uh, by speaking Aramaic, right, he was directly addressing the Jewish mob, read 
other than the Romans, because see, the Romans were not the ones who had an issue with Paul. It was this Jewish mob that had an issue with Rome. And so Paul, by speaking Aramaic, he spoke, he directly addressed the Jewish mob, and he defended himself against these accusations that were made against him, or made towards him, by revealing himself to be a royal Jew. So now let's continue on into chapter 22, because see that took us up to verse 40. So now we're going to pick up in 22, verse 1, which says this. Uh, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. And Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel, and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So let's stop right there, because Paul says several things right here, right? So the first thing Paul does in his speech is he described his upbringing, right? And he says that his upbringing was the best uh, available. And he goes on to say that he studied under this man named Gamaliel, who was a well-respected theological conservative who carried on the school of the famous Rabbi Hilliel, and he was also someone who spoke earlier, right? Who spoke earlier when the apostles were persecuted, right? Um, who was the one that stood up and spoke over uh, in Acts chapter 5 in verse uh, where the apostles were poured before Peter and John were poured before the Sanhedrin, right? Gamaliel was the one who spoke up and said, Hey, if what these men are doing is from God, nothing we can do can stop it. And if it's not from God, then it will end up stopping itself, right? So when we talk about, right, that he studied under the Gamaliel, right? So, when did Paul start this study, right? So, Paul possibly started this study as long as the age of 12, and Paul would have sat on the floor while Gamaliel taught. While he taught. So, now we go on, and it says, he started under Gamaliel, and he was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. So, when it says he was thoroughly trained, it means he had more than just an elementary education. Paul had probably the equivalent of of a graduate degree in this. Paul was so well knowledgeable in this that he would have been able to talk circles around others, right? And so he goes on to say, I was just, I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. So that's verse 3, right? So Paul says here that he was 
just as zealous for God as the crowd was. So, what's he doing here? What's he? He's what is what he is doing is he's showing understanding and not hostility, right? And so his confession of his zeal is going to provide a transition to his conduct as an adult. So now picking up in verse 4, here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained all letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So what is Paul saying? So Paul said, I was just as zealous for my religion as you are, just as zealous for God as you are. And he goes on to define how he was zealous by talking about how he persecuted the followers of this way, or the way. So what do we know about that phrase? You should already know that phrase, the way, is the earliest name for Christianity. It's one of it's the primary way that Christianity is identified in the book of Acts, right? So Paul goes on to say here that his persecution led to the death of men and women, right? So he says, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them into prison, right? So then he goes on to say, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, by the way, this is verse 5, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Right? So when Paul talks about this persecution, the first thing that comes to mind, right, is Stephen. But we know that Paul only consented to Stephen's death, and he didn't take actual part in it, right? And so we see the sins that Paul listed here, right? The fact that he says, um, I obtained letters from Damascus, uh, from their associates in Damascus, and went there to bring these people, these prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished, and the fact that he says he persecuted these the followers of the, of the way of Christianity to their death, and he arrested both men and women, and that he threw them in prison, right? So the sins that Paul has just confessed to doing as a young man were, not only were both blasphemous and murderous acts that would lead him in his other, and Paul's actual writings, to call himself the worst of sinners, right? <coughs> and so then he says, <coughs> so he started off, right, he started off verse 5 by saying, as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify, right? So he says, hey look, 
just take my words for it. Go and ask the high priest. Go and ask the whole council of elders. So you see the high priest and the whole council of elders within the Jewish form of government at this point in time was what constituted the Sanhedrin, right? What constituted kind of the governing body of of the Jewish people, particularly the Jewish people within the boundaries of Judea. And that's what constituted their ruling body. And he says, hey, these people can testify to the fact that Paul, Paul had a commission from them to persecute Christians. And that that, that commission has pretty much now expired. So now we're going to pick up in verse 6, right? So Paul has just described the actions of his misguided youth and his misguided early adulthood. And now we're going to see what exactly happened starting in verse 6. So it says, About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So what we see here, so what do we see? We see Paul talking about here. We see Paul talking about his conversion experience. We see Paul talking about the very moment he came to realize the fact that he was not just persecuting Christians or men and women when he was attacking the way when he was attacking Christianity. He was also attacking God. Right? And so we see at Paul's conversion experience there was this intense light, and that this intense light flashed all around him, and because it flashed all around him, it was no wonder that he fell to the ground, right? So that's what we see in verses 6 and 7, because it says that about noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground, Right, and then it goes over to seven, goes on to say, and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Right, and so this voice that Paul hears and that Paul's gonna hear throughout the rest of this verse, or the rest of the, his telling, the rest of his conversion experience, right? The voice of God, the voice of Jesus, is a voice that only Paul could understand. Why was it a voice that only Paul could understand, right? 
as I think Paul knew deep down in his heart of hearts that what he was doing was not right. What he was doing was contradictory to the scripture. So you see, the Holy Spirit had already moved within Paul and had already convicted Paul of his sins enough that Paul, when he was blinded by this brilliant light, it forced him to stop. And then Jesus speaks directly to Paul. Paul's the only one that understands it because Paul's the only one who is prepared and who is ready to understand it now. And so we know that the others heard a sound. They didn't understand what this sound was, right? Because it says in verse 9, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me, right? So we know that from this point forward, Paul was blind until we get to the next section of Paul's conversion experience of how Paul is going to describe what then happened to him after his conversion. So we know that from this point on in Paul's conversion story, he's blind. And so then he goes on to say in verse 10, What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. And so verse 11 says, Companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. So what do we see Paul saying here? Paul saying, I was the persecutor. I was the one who was hunting down Christians. I was the one who was hunting down these people that I thought were being defiant towards God, who were not in tune with God, but in reality, they were more in tune with God than I was, and because of my actions, God blinded me as a way to bring me to my knees so that I could have an encounter with Jesus, and so I now had to be led by the hand into the city. The one who, when we entered the city, proud and standing tall, right, has now is now entering into the city. Not tall and proud and standing tall, but he is entering the city like a small child who has to be led by the hand. So what's the conclusion here, right, right? He says, the conclusion here, right, is that persecuting the church is persecuting Jesus because Jesus is united to his church, right? And so in this union, it is unthinkable, unthinkable that the persecutor will not receive eventual justice, right? In other words, Paul is telling these people, Hey, look, I persecuted, I was raised in a great way. I had a great education, and that great education caused me to be so zealous 
before God, then I started to persecute those that God had called specifically to do something. And because I persecuted God's church, which was directly united with God, because they were directly united with God, I was then persecuting God himself. receive their punishment. They will receive what their just dues are, and they will receive it either in this life, right, or in eternity. So what's Paul saying here? Paul's saying, hey look, there's no reason for you to riot like this, because if I have done something that has wronged or offended God or led to the persecution of God, that is something that uh, I have persecuted you, or if I have done something wrong that has offended God, I'm going to face judgment, and the judgment is going to come in this life, and it's going to come in eternity, but it's not up to you to pass that judgment, it's up to God, that's the whole point of Paul telling this so far, remember Paul's point in speaking to these people, wants to try to quell their anger, wants to try to get this crowd to shut up and go back home. Because Paul doesn't want the Roman soldiers rebellion. He had to put this rebellion down. No, 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 no. Because that would have been bad for the Jewish people. It would have been bad for the early church. And it would have been bad for Paul. It would have been bad overall. So Paul want, doesn't want this to happen. So Paul is telling this story as a way, Paul is telling his own story as a way of telling these people God will judge those who have done wrong by him in his own time. You don't need to push the envelope because God's going to do it in his own time. So now we're going to pick up over in verse 12 of chapter 22, where we're going to see the conclusion of Paul's conversion event. So starting in verse 12, here's what it says. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. So we're told, back in the early part of Acts, right, in Acts chapter 9, which was the parallel passage to this, we're told that something like scales fell from Paul's eyes when this happened, right? There's something like scales fell from Paul's eyes when this happened. I'm picking up now in verse 14, right? Here's what it says. Then he said, the God
God of our ancestors has chosen to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 10, Ananias is simply called a disciple, right? But here, see that was Luke's description of him. Here we see Paul describing him in a way that would appeal to pious Jews, right? Because he says, a man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. So he says, Ananias was devout and he was very respected by the local Jews. Right? So when Paul, Paul then goes on to tell him, tell his, tell his audience uh, this charge that Ananias gave him, right? So here's what it says. So it says over in verse 13, He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Right? So it says, Ananias told him to receive his sight. And Ananias goes on to say this, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know the will, excuse me, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So we know in Acts chapter 9, Ananias tells Paul that he would be the one who would be the primary bringer of the gospel to the Gentile nations, to those that were not ethnically Jewish, right? So Paul does not go into that specifically, more than likely as a way to dampen the crowds fervor, but he does say that he will be a witness, Ananias tells him, he will be a witness to all people and he says, you'll be a witness to all people of what you have seen and what you have heard. Because you see, Paul saw the resurrected Jesus, and Paul heard the resurrected Jesus, and that would have made him one of the few people who had seen and who had heard the resurrected Jesus. So Ananias then goes on to instruct Paul to be baptized, right? He says to to be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. So, theologically speaking, right, calling on the name of Jesus precedes forgiveness and baptism. So we already know that when Ananias came to see Paul, Paul had already converted. Paul was already converted. Paul had already called on the name of Jesus, right? So when Ananias is telling him, and he's telling him, keep calling on the name of Jesus. 
keep calling on the name of Jesus, right? So now let's pick up in verse 70, because we're going to take this through to the very end now. And it says this, when Paul says this, When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately, because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you, and when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and God in the clothes of those who were killing him. And the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Right, so we see here Paul describing a vision that he had in the temple in Jerusalem. Something that 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 Luke doesn't record in in the early of in his earlier version of Paul's conversion experience, but it's something that Paul tells you, right? This is new information, right? And so we see that Paul objects to this vision that he sees because in this vision that he sees he's told to leave Jerusalem immediately because the People here will not accept your testimony about me. God tells Paul, Hey, look, the people of Jerusalem ain't gonna accept your, your, your testimony. They're not gonna accept your witness. They're not gonna accept the words that you are telling them about me. Right, so that's what Paul is seeing here in this vision. And Paul objects to this vision because it was, because it, it because, actually, excuse me, Paul objects to this vision for one simple reason. Because he felt a great burden for his people and he considered himself to be in a good position to share the gospel. With them. That's why it says in verse 19, going on through verse 19, it says, Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to an prison and beat those who believe in you. When the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Paul's showing that he has a great for his people, right? Why? Because you see, Paul was there when they said, ah, ah, Stephen's not only talking crazy talk, Stephen's done with a blasphemy against God, and now we gotta kill him. And so they dragged Stephen out and they killed him. That's why he talks about Stephen there, right? So he says, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to in prison and beat those who believe in me. Paul knows he's in a good position to share the gospel with the Jewish people because he was a man who was persecuting the way, who 
was persecuted in the early church from the very get-go, and now all of a sudden, he's quit persecuting the church. And now he's preaching the church's message. So that's why it says that he had a fulfilled great burden. He felt a great burden because he knew the heart of the Jewish people. Because the heart of the Jewish people was the same heart he had before he met Jesus on that road to Damascus. Paul knows that the only way that heart's going to change is if somebody brings that message to them. But you see, God had different plans for Paul, right? Verse 21, it says, Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God's plan was not for Paul to be the apostle to the Jews. God already had several apostles to the Jews. What God needed Paul to be is he needed him to be the apostle to the Gentiles to take his message of salvation, to take his message of redemption outside the borders of Israel, outside the realm of Hebrew-speaking peoples, out into the realm of the Greek-speaking peoples. Asia Minor, a Greece, over into the Latin-speaking peoples of Italy, and maybe even beyond that, because there's evidence that Paul did that. That is what God's plan for Paul was. God sent Paul out to the Gentiles, but Paul still had this and felt this great burden for the Jewish people, and by telling these people that he's saying, look, I would never do anything to defile your temple, to destroy my credibility among you, because you see, I mourn for you, I grieve for the fact that you have turned your back on the one God sent you have turned your back on the Messiah. You've chosen your back on God, anointed one. The one who has come to save your, to, to save you from your sins. You've turned your back on him. You see, that's what Paul was trying to convey here. And unfortunately, as we're going to see tomorrow, that didn't work. But you see, this riotous mob is still going to be riotous even after Paul has laid out his heart to these people. He's told these people, I care deeply for you. I would never do something like this. I'm just as zealous for for keeping this temple pure as you are. But unfortunately, they didn't have the desired effect. His speech never had the desired effect. And that's what we're going to see tomorrow as we finish up this chapter, right? As we see Paul going, as we see the, the, the riotous crowd continue to be riotous, and we see the other after effects of this great message that Paul has just laid out. 
And so not afraid to be prepared to discuss that. Here's what you need to read. So you need to read Job chapters 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 17, Psalm 37, 12 through 29, and Proverbs 21, 25 through 28.